Welcome to church this morning. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for that gospel message which we just sang. God, we thank you that um, it just seems ridiculous to us that a king like you would leave your throne to come down and sacrifice yourself for us. But God, we're so glad you did. We are eternally grateful for the sacrifice that you made for us. And God, we thank you for the way that that changes everything about us, about our life and about our eternity. And we just stand before you grateful this morning for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, quickly do a COVID safe g'day to somebody around you. And while that's happening, I'll just be um, chatting to you guys who are online. Um, So good to have you here with us this morning. And uh, we really hope that you feel like you are part of things here, even though you're in your home. Okay, that'll do. You can continue those conversations over a cup of tea or coffee after the service. We are having cuppa again today. Um, So uh, we're small in number, but we are significant as we gather together in, in, um, in this place. Oh, I have my computer on and it was not muted. Sorry, that's so awkward. I'm so good at tech, don't you think? the right person for this job. Um, Anyway, um, so I will just quickly mention that we're having communion next Sunday. I was just going to mention it online, but then I thought some of the people in this room might be online next week. So um, if you are watching from home next week, you will need to gather um, your own things for communion. So just be aware of that. Um, Church in person, at the moment we're allowed 75 people, um, so potentially that will change again this week. So it's a very dynamic kind of situation and we try and communicate that with you as quickly and as best as we can. So you need to be checking your emails, you need to be checking our social media um, and uh, yeah, just keeping up to date with that. But if you are in any doubt at all as to whether you're allowed to come to church, um, maybe give one of us a call. Um, Beck's not in the office this week, but um, you can call one of us and uh, we can sort you out with that. Uh, Everybody needs to be checked in and QR coded if you're in the building. So if you're online again, if you could check into our online service, that would really help us uh, to know that you were here. Um, And that is all the notices that I have for you. Um, Everything else you need to know is in your newsletter, so you can be catching up with that. Make sure you read the newsletter um, because it sometimes does... Well, it always contains important information, so, yeah, don't just skip over it. Um, So we are part of a church family here, and that is fantastic because we get to celebrate with one another uh, when great things happen, and we certainly did that last week uh, when we saw the lovely Janice baptised. So you know how some people, when you say their name, you say their surname, like their whole thing? (laughs) Uh, We certainly had some people like that that we've done that before. Um, But anyway, Janice, I always think of her as the lovely Janice, and I don't know why. Hopefully that I've just transferred that to you people now. So anyway, um, but anyway, we can also join together um, and pray for one another when... Uh, when things are not going so well. So we've got a lot of people with health issues at the moment and um, I'll just list them out a little bit for you. Um, Celia 
uh, is not doing so well and she was hoping to be here this morning but she's not so we can uh, be praying for Celia. Uh, Young Nathan had uh, a major surgery this week so he had parts taken off both of his lungs if you can um, just imagine that for an eight-year-old boy Uh, that is a lot to be going through and he's potentially having another little surgery today just to fix up something from that so there is a lot going on uh, for Nathan and his family and Rod is about to enter his last full week of radiotherapy this week so uh, we can be continuing to pray for Rod and Lynn and the family Uh, Spence is still needing our prayers, Um, so ongoing situation there, so hold up, um, Spence, for us. Um, And our lovely Beck. See, there's another lovely person. The lovely Beck is having some a procedure this week, so you can be praying for Beck um, as she goes for that. Also, we need to be holding up uh, Janice, the lovely Janice, who was baptised last week, um, and protecting protecting her, and also the lovely Pukes, uh, Pauline, who um, joined church council. Uh, and so those two, um, Janice and Pauline, um, we need to be praying for them as they've kind of stepped up um, and will have attracted attention for sure. So uh, we need to be praying prayers of protection and, uh, yeah, just guidance for them. So let's stand and we're going to pray for our church family together. You can pray for my mum as well if you like. <laughs> if I say that my mum's not going too well at the moment, that is like a huge understatement. So we can be praying for my mum. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you that we can come before you as your family. God, we thank you for the fact that we are your family in this place and for the way that we can love, support and encourage one another. And we hold our our precious ones up in front of you this morning. God, we hold up uh, Janice and Pauline and ask uh, that you protect them, that you cover them. Uh, God, we thank you that they have nothing to fear for the stand that they've taken um, in your name. God, we know that all the authority and the power is yours and everything else can just run away. God, we thank you for these lovely ones who have um, committed themselves to serve you. And God, we pray for our family who need an ongoing healing touch from you. And God, we hold each one of those up in front of you now. And the ones that I've mentioned this morning and others that we know of as well. God, we know that you are the God of the miraculous, that you can do impossible things. And as we look at the story of Esther today, God, that just encourages us that you can do those impossible things, things that seem just beyond understanding, that you can change situations, that you can bring healing into people's bodies, that you can completely turn things around. And we know that we serve that God today. God, we thank you for your gospel, which changes our life, which changes our future. And God, we we thank you for the privilege that is ours as we invite others into that relationship with you. God, we pray for our Alpha courses. We pray uh, for uh, the people that we have the privilege of journeying with uh, towards faith. 
And God, we thank you that you are a part of our service this morning and it is uh, our privilege to bring our praise and worship to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Oh, look, God, we worship you this morning. God, we choose to lift you high when things are going well. And God, we choose to lift you high when we don't know what tomorrow will bring. God, we thank you that you are the king of this church, the king of our lives. And God, you are a good king who loves us, who has a good plan for us. And God, I pray this morning that we might know your love and your grace upon our life. That we might be reminded by your Holy Spirit that you hold us. You hold our future. You hold those that we love, and God, you love them more. And God, we trust you. We trust you with today, we trust you with tomorrow, and we trust you with eternity. And God, we pray that you might speak to our hearts this morning. You might encourage us where we are, whether we're in this place or whether we're at home. God, we just pray that you would speak to us, you would encourage us, you would remind us that you are a good king and that we can follow you, we can trust you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, please grab a seat. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to have you. With us this morning, special welcome to those joining us from home. Trust you're all rugged up um, wherever you are. Got your church clothes on, no doubt. Had a shower, had some breakfast, put your suits and dresses on. And No, you're probably still in your pyjamas, which is fine. That's the great thing about church online and church at home is that you can... I mean, you can wear your pyjamas here too, if you like, yeah. Come as you are, there's room for you, home for all, that's right. Very cool, very cool. Well, uh, this morning we are in week three of our series in Esther, week three, uh, which means we're up to chapters five and six. We are doing two chapters a week, ten chapters in Esther, and when you get to chapter ten, you'll be pleasantly surprised, it's only three verses long. Uh, So, when you get to that week of reading... That's a nice short reading for you, for those that struggle reading a whole two chapters a week. That one's a... To, to get you to the end, you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, so the first week we looked at um, Esther becoming queen and, and Renee spoke about this idea that God is at work even when we can't see it. Um, we're learning through the book of Esther that God's name is never mentioned, but God is at work through every detail, through every twist and through every turn. Um, and we can have moments and seasons in our life where it feels like God's not getting a mention, but we can trust that he is at work, that he is sovereign over our life. And so Esther becomes queen, and then um, Mordecai um, sort of gets the the Jews in trouble by not bowing down to to Haman, or to to the king, really, Uh, but Haman's the one that discovers this, this problem, and Mordecai and the Jews are destined for, for being slaughtered, for being wiped out, um, because this guy Haman and his relationship with the king, and Mordecai, who's Esther's uh, uncle, but who's raised Esther, is like a father to Esther, has said to Esther, well, maybe you're, you're in this position for such a time as this. 
It's a very well-known scripture, very well-known phrase that we've, you've heard bounce around in churches, no doubt, if you've um, been in church for a while, for such a time as this. And Esther is encouraged by Mordecai to go to the king and plead for mercy, to say, can you let my people live? Can you not wipe them out? And that's where we got to last week. Um, and we talked about how it was because Mordecai and because Esther were Jews, because of who they are, it determined how they acted. And who we are determines what we do. And it's not the other way around. When we are believers, when we're followers of Jesus, it will change the way we live. It will change what we do. And so this morning, we're going to look at chapters 5 and 6. We're going to sort of walk through the story and see what God is doing. Uh, And this morning, I'm going to talk about um, two big ideas, one of temptation and one of turns. Temptation and turns. And I'm just going to read a portion from chapter 5 and then we'll um, we'll get through all of 5 and 6 together. We won't read it all, but we'll, we'll walk through the story and see what God's doing. So, for, uh, chapter 5, verses 6 to 13. So, this is where Esther is going to the king and sort of getting her um, courage up to, to go and ask the king for, for what she wants. So while drinking wine, the king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you, whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be done. And Esther answered, this is my petition and my request if I have found favour in the eyes of the king and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request. You can see it just like, it's like when you're asking for something, you just can't get it out. Um, anyway, I just find it funny how this whole book is written. And perform my request, getting back to the scripture, May the king and Haman come to the banquet. I'll prepare for them tomorrow. Uh, for them tomorrow, I'll do what the king has asked. And that day, Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. Uh, and when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage towards Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his wife, sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. And then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them how good he was. He told them how, sorry, I put that in. He told them all the king had honoured him and promoted him in rank over all the officials and the royal staff. And what's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I'm invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. Still, none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it can make us laugh. But God, we thank you even more that it speaks to our heart. And God, we pray this morning that it might be real for us. You might speak to us in life-changing ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a pretty focused kind of guy. When I set my mind to something, um, I'm pretty focused on that thing. And, and if you ask my wife, maybe too focused... Uh, sometimes if I'm doing something, she can't get my attention. And I think I've passed that trait on to my boys, although in seeing um, other kids behave, I think it's just naturally maybe what happens in young children is that they get fixed on something and then to try to snap them out of that, whatever they're watching or doing, to say, come and get dressed or come and let's go to school or come and um, it's dinner time, you just can't get their attention. You literally have to get right in front of them in their face wave your hand, sometimes I have to do this, especially with my oldest, Harry, I have to literally get right in front of his face and say, it's dinner time now, like, 
doesn't matter what he's doing. Uh, he's just in a zone. He's in a, he's in a trance almost. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing. You know, if you're driving, you don't want to be distracted. You don't want um, that to, to get you off, off course. Uh, but other times you want to be able to sort of let people speak and, and, uh, and be distracted. You know, Jesus, when he was walking through different towns, he was often distracted, even though he was on his way. He was focused on the task at hand. He was often distracted. Um, and this morning, um, I love how Esther is focused on something and she's not distracted by the thing that's maybe a temptation away from what she should be doing. And as I was reading through this um, this week, chapters 5 and 6, it really struck me that the temptation that was thrown Esther's way a few times that seems to not even register with Esther. It's like she doesn't even pay it any attention. She's, she's so focused on what God has got her there for that she doesn't even realise that there's a temptation there. And I've never noticed it before when reading through Esther before and I just felt um, that God was saying, this is what we need to talk about this morning, that when we're focused on what God has for us, when we set our minds on what he uh, has in store for us, the temptations will seem less significant and less tempting, less enticing. And so this is the temptation that's thrown Esther at least two times. And, and again, you see it in chapter 7, I think, um, where the king says this. What is it, Esther? Verse 3 of chapter 5. What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be given to you. And then again, three verses later, while drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be done. And then you see it again in chapter 7. And it seems ridiculous that the king would say this to Esther. But this is what the king, you can see the king is obviously in love with Esther, just wants to do whatever she wants, you know, even to half the kingdom. Whatever you want, Esther, I'll do for you. And you could, I don't know, if you were in that position, what those words would do to you. What those sort of temptations would do to you to say, Esther, in this moment, you could ask for literally anything and I'll give it to you. But Esther doesn't seem to worry about anything else apart from what she feels she is called to do, what God has uh, in store for her. You know, I really believe that Esther, she lived on purpose, with purpose. She had a real understanding of what God was doing in her life. And you contrast this with Haman in the same chapter. And Haman lived with no purpose. Haman had seemingly half the kingdom, what the king was offering Esther. He had the wealth. He had the royal officials under him. He had it all going for him, but he had no joy. He had no satisfaction in in how he was living. In fact, the disapproval of one man, Mordecai, outside the king's gate was enough to ruin his day, was enough to rob him of all joy. In verse 9, it says, That day Haman left full of joy, And in good spirits. Maybe it was the wine, but maybe it was just because he had a good day. And when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage towards Mordecai. And then a few verses down in verse 13, still, none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. It's just that guy. Just can't stand him. He ruins my life. Ruins everything. Doesn't let me have any fun. And Mordecai probably doesn't even understand what he's doing 
to Haman. Have you got people like that in your life that when you see, they just rob you of all joy? Hopefully not. Hopefully not in this way. But you know, I think there's sometimes we have seasons in our life and people in our life particularly that can rob us of all joy and they don't even realise that they're doing it. They don't even realise that they're robbing you of joy and you think in your mind that they're doing it intentionally, they're doing it on purpose. Their life's mission is to rob me of my joy. And I'm sure that's what Haman was thinking, that Mordecai's life mission was to rob him of joy. But we know for sure that Mordecai's mission was anything but robbing Haman of his joy. Mordecai's mission was to do the will of God, was to see Yahweh on it in every situation and not bow down to someone who wasn't worthy of bowing down to. Still, Haman was on a quest for joy. He was on a quest for satisfaction. He had half the kingdom. He had uh, a great place of authority and honour. He had great wealth. He had friends. He had a wife. But he still wasn't satisfied. And it's so obvious that he wasn't satisfied because of Mordecai was able to take that satisfaction away from him. You know, the world can't give us what only God can. The world can't give us what only God can. And, and the pursuit of joy in this world is fraught with danger because we'll always be wanting more. There'll always be something that when we get that thing, when we get that um, position in our workplace or when we get that um, amount of money that we've been saving towards or when we get whatever it is that we've been hoping for in this world, then there'll be something else that we need. There'll be something else that we desire that will leave us feeling empty until we have that thing. And this was how Haman was living. He, on paper, and to us, it seems like, what else could you want if one person doesn't bow down to you? I mean, that's, that's the worst problem in your life? But for him, it was the worst problem. It, it ruined everything for him. The pursuit of joy in this world is fraught with danger because if it, can, it can be taken away from you. But when we pursue God and his joy and his purpose for our life, it can never be taken away. Esther was offered half the kingdom, but she chose the better. She chose to stay focused on what God had for her. You know, temptation isn't as tempting when we're living on purpose, when we're living with purpose, when we're living in the way that God would want us to live. You look at different accounts in the Bible and you I particularly think of David and Bathsheba. And if you know the story of David and Bathsheba and how David was tempted away from what he should be doing, David was in this sort of moment in his life where he was just living without any intent. He should have been at war when kings went to war. He should have been doing something with his life. But instead, he just sat at home and wandered around the rooftop. It was like he was living aimlessly with no purpose. And it was in that moment that temptation was really strong for him and he succumbed to that temptation. Whereas you look at Joseph and he had temptation in his life, but he had a focus and a determination in his walk. Or Daniel, or even Jesus when he was tempted by the Holy Spirit. He was so determined and focused on his mission that God had for him that the temptations weren't as tempting. Now, it's not to say that temptations won't be tempting when we're living on purpose, but they'll be less tempting or the best strategy against temptation in our life is to live with purpose and on purpose. When we're fully aware of our life's purpose and design, we can stay focused on that and miss the temptations that the enemy throws at us. 
Because temptation comes to all of us in different ways. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us watching online, temptation comes to all of us. Jesus was not immune from temptation. And I think sometimes the enemy would love for us to think that if we're tempted, then we've already lost the battle. If temptation comes, you've already, you've already failed. Well, if that's the case, Jesus failed. Whenever temptation comes, we've got to remind ourselves of what God has planned for us, the mission God has. You know, when I was growing up as a teenager, when I was growing up as a, as a young boy, young man, some of the things that I always fought with in terms of temptation, and especially at a young age for, for young guys, the, the sexual temptation, the um, pornography, those sorts of things that come into uh, a young man's life, the best strategy and the best things that I could do was defend myself from them. You know, I would focus on not doing it. I would focus on not giving in to temptation. And it never worked. It never worked. You know, the best thing that worked was when I stayed focused on what God would have me do, when I focused on serving him, loving him. And then the temptations, they seemed to just fade away. They weren't as strong because I was focused on what God had for me. The best defense is a good offense. You know, in sports, this is true. And in our walk with God, it's true. The best defense against temptation is to have a good purpose and intent with your life. To live on mission. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it talks about this idea in a, in a different way as well. It says, we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Throughout the New Testament, it talks about this warning against idleness, being careful about just doing nothing with your life, just treading water, going through the motions. This is what Haman was doing, and he was giving in to temptation. Esther wasn't idle in her life. She had a big mission in front of her. She had a big decision to make and a big, um, a courageous step to go to the king and ask him this thing, and she went for it. She stepped with intent. She stepped with purpose. So I think there's, there's two main strategies against temptation that I want to point out this morning. One is living on purpose, living with intent. And the second one that we see is this, is getting the right people around you. Esther had Mordecai encouraging her towards what God had for her life. Haman had people in his life, his friends and his wife, who said, build the gallows 75 feet high, hang Mordecai, who encouraged his sinful behaviour. They had contrasting crowds, contrasting voices in their, in their life that encouraged them towards certain ways. Get the right people around you. There'll always be someone encouraging you to give in to your temptations. That you'll always find someone who will encourage you to give in to your temptations. If you want to find that person, you'll find them. They'll say things like, it's okay to think like that. It's okay to behave like that. It's okay to feel like that. Just do it more. Just do it again. It doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. You can live however you want. You'll always find people that will encourage you that way if you want to hear that voice. And that's what Haman had in his life. He had people that would just encourage them to, to live that way. And in verse 14, we didn't read this one, 
But in verse 14 it says, His wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, Have them build a gallows 75 feet tall. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows constructed. You'll always find people that will encourage you towards giving in to your temptations. My encouragement is to find the people that will encourage you towards the mission that God has for you. This is what Mordecai did with Esther. Maybe you're born for such a time as this. Go to the king. Fill people with courage to live with their purpose for God. Then in chapter 6, we see this turning point in the story. Mordecai, up until this point, could easily be thinking to himself, you know what, I've done all the right things. I've been honouring God with my life. But God doesn't seem to see me. All I've signed is a death warrant for me and all the Jewish people. This isn't good. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't live for God. Maybe I shouldn't do what God wants because it doesn't seem to work out well. It would be very easy to think that's how Mordecai was thinking. And it's very easy for us to, in different seasons of our life to think like that. You know what, I'm living the way God wants me to, but it doesn't seem to benefit me in any way. This other person, like Haman, is just living however he wants. He's just sinful in every aspect of his life and he just gets rich and gets whatever he wants. But do you know what? God says to stay on track. Vengeance is mine. In Romans 12, verse 19 to 21, it says, Friends, don't avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink, for in doing so you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. You know, this seems like a silly statement to make, but at every corner there's a turn. Every time we can't see something coming and we can't see what's coming next, there's a turn. There's There's an opportunity for God to change the situation. And for Mordecai this was true, that he was at a at a corner where he couldn't see what was happening next. It, all he could imagine that was the next thing was going to happen was we're going to be wiped out, we're going to be killed. But the next thing that happens in chapter 6 is that King Xerxes, who's been having these banquets with the, the queen and with Haman, can't sleep that night. Maybe it was the wine, maybe who knows what it was. He couldn't sleep that night. And so what he has... What does he have to do? He has someone come, one of his officials come, and, they, and he says, well, can you read my diary to me? I mean, if you want to fall asleep, I can't think of a better way than to have your diary read to you. I mean, that would put me to sleep. But this is what he does. He has his diary read to him, and the portion of his diary that he has read to him is uh, about Mordecai. It just so happens that the, the reading that is read to him is for, about Mordecai, and it's it's recorded in chapter 2 of Esther. This is what happened back in chapter 2, is Mordecai saved the king's life. In chapter 2, verse 21, it says, During those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, became infuriated and planned to assassinate the king. 
we'll king, call, keep calling him King Xerxes, when Mordecai learned of the plot, he reported it to, the, to Queen Esther and she told the king on Mordecai's behalf and when the report was investigated and verified, both men were hanged on the gallows and this event was recorded in the historical record of the king's, in the king's presence. So this is what is read to the king days before Mordecai is about to be hung. It's not just ironic, but this is the hand of God at work. This is the the hand of God at work. When we stay faithful to God, and even when we're not faithful to God, God is faithful to us. God is faithful to you. God saves you. He redeems your life from a certain death that you face. In Ephesians 2, it has this great um, paraphrase of the gospel. And in one of the verses, it says, But God, when we were dead in our sin, but God in his mercy, with grace, he redeems our life. When we can't see it, God is faithful. He is always at work. He sees you. He sees what you're going through. And he loves you. He is faithful to you. And God will always have the last laugh. God will always have the last say. Haman is the one. So this is what happens. The the king can't fall asleep. He has the diary thing read to him. And he goes, well, what did we ever do for Mordecai to honour him? Did we ever like throw him a, a banquet or a parade? Or did we ever thank him for saving my life? And they said, no, nothing was ever done. And so he says, oh, well, is there someone in the, in the courts that can do something for him? And, and they said, oh, Haman's just arrived. And so he goes, oh, bring Haman in. And so the king brings Haman into the, the room where he is and says, what should I do for a man that I want to honour? And Haman thinks to himself, this is what the scripture says, Haman thinks, well, obviously he's talking about me. Well, in that case, you should get him on a horse and parade him through town and, you know, make a big deal about him. And he says, great, can you, can you do that for Mordecai? Just imagine what's going through Haman's mind at that point. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I just built a 75-foot gallows to hang this man, and now I've got to put him on a horse and parade him through town. And so it says in chapter 6, verse 11, So Haman took the garment and the horse, he clothed Mordecai, and paraded him through the city square, calling out before him, This is what is done for the man who wants to honour, for the king wants to honour. You can just imagine him just saying it with like gritted teeth, just like, just grumbling the whole time. And then there's another twist in the story. The same friends that encouraged his sinful behaviour, um, tell him the truth. They tell Haman the truth. They say, actually, Haman, you know how we told you to hang Mordecai and get rid of him? Well, the truth is, he's a Jew, so you, you're never going to win. He's got God on his side. Like, there's no chance for you. You're surely going to die. Haman told his wife in verse 13, Zeresh and all his friends, everything that happened, and his visors. And his wife, Zeresh, said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you've begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. Basically, they're saying, this is the end. Goodbye, Haman. Goodbye, husband. Just like, there's no chance of you surviving this. God's outcomes are certain. Do you know why even non-Jewish people would say this? Because God's outcomes are certain. If God says something will happen, it will happen. If God says he will see you through a difficult season, he will. If God says he will forgive you, he will. 
If God says he will never leave you, he won't. If God says he will give you joy and peace and grace, he will. He is certain to do what he says he will do. He is faithful, even when we're not. And when the enemy tries to steal, kill or destroy your life, know that God is always faithful. He is always at work, even when it seems like he isn't. Even when you can't see what's around the next bend. At every corner there's a turn, and that turn you never know what's going to bring. Maybe a move of God in your life. Maybe something that God has been orchestrating for you is coming around the next corner. You can't see it, but you hold on because you know at the end of the day, he has eternity in his hands. He holds your future. So my encouragement and challenge for you is to continue to chase and pursue Jesus. And as you do, the the deathly distractions, the temptations around you will seem to fade away. They won't be as enticing because you'll stay focused on the mission that God has for you. And even when you can't see what's coming next and it looks like something bad is on the horizon, you know that God has your ultimate future secured certain and he is faithful to do what he says he will do he is always faithful and so i want to pray i want to pray for those that maybe are facing a difficult season facing an unknown tomorrow maybe the band's the band's going to come and we're going to do one last song maybe at home you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring you don't know what the next season's bring us looking a little shaky uncertain feeling a little bit like Mordecai, I want to encourage you and pray God's faithfulness over your life. Or maybe you're in a season of temptation and there's been temptations thrown your way that you can't seem to stop thinking about. I want to pray for you as well this morning to stay focused on what God has for you, the plan and the purpose. So let's stand and let's pray together. And maybe if one of, the things I've, one of the things I've mentioned you feel like is pertinent to you, maybe you can just hold your hands out and just in an act of surrender just to say, God, I want you to move in my life this morning, whether you're in this building, whether you're at home. God, this morning we pray and we ask that you would move in our lives. God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. You are faithful when we're unfaithful and you're faithful when we are. And God, your outcomes are certain. When you say you will do something, you are sure to do it. You've never failed on your word and you're not about to start now. And so God, I pray for those that are dealing with seemingly unbearable temptation. God, I thank you that you give us purpose, you give us intent. And God, I pray that for those people, they might know your purpose in their life like never before. They might see it like Esther saw it and be able to run towards your purpose with such focus and determination that the temptations will fade. And God, for those that are facing an uncertain future, a bit like Mordecai, they can't see what's coming next, but it doesn't look good. God, I thank you that you are at work even when we can't see it. 
And God, we pray for miracles. We pray for healings. We pray for deliverance. We pray that you would move when it seems like there's no way you could. We thank you that you are faithful. We can trust you. We thank you there is power in the name of Jesus and in the work of Jesus. We pray this over every situation, every person, every family. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.